0: Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. Here is Dr. Michael Rogers, Pastor Emeritus. Good evening, everyone. It's good to be with you. I just uh, venture 60 seconds worth of history for you as I was thinking about it today and being here. I remember coming to the church in 1994 and interviewing the members of the session, the elders, about uh, various programs and what the church was doing and where we might improve or expand things. And I asked the question of uh, the session, has anything out of the ordinary been done about the season of Lent? leading up to Easter. We don't want a celebration of Lent that means ashes on the forehead and I gave up Hershey bars for something like that. Is is really a silly uh, understanding of Lent. But a deepening of consciousness and seriousness and repentance and prayer leading up to the passion and death of our Lord is certainly appropriate. And they said, well, we uh, we've started a few years ago, I think it was, Uh, this was 94, uh, having a lunch and outside speakers. And I said, oh, lunch. Okay, well, who comes to lunch? Is is anyone under 60? And they basically looked embarrassed and said, well, no, I guess not. I said, what if we tried a dinner and we had a potluck before? Good idea. Let's try it. We'll let the new pastor hang himself if it doesn't work out. And... uh, Well, it succeeded, and it led another year to the dinner being cooked. And about two years later, I believe, in the late 90s, it led to the addition of the kids' clubs and the Wednesday night as you know it now. So uh, our busy Wednesday nights actually were born in the Lenten service time that we began in 1995. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to speak to you uh, In retirement, you sit around and think about a lot of things. And one thing I I tried to think about a number of weeks ago was, how many times have I actually preached at Westminster Church? Now, you've got to bear in mind that a sermon is preached twice by the morning pastor here. So I count twice for sermons when I say I figured out it has to be at least 3,200 times. That's a lot. It makes me tired to say that, but it is a privilege to preach the Word of God to this responsive and growing and caring congregation, and I mean that very sincerely. Thank you, Chris, for including me in this schedule. Well, I was assigned a text, and it's a familiar one if you wish to follow in your Bible. Luke 11, Luke 11, 1 through 13, I'm going to read. I'm really going to deal with uh, 5 through 13, and I'll say why in a minute after I read it. Luke 11, uh, beginning at verse 1 through verse 13. Hear God's word. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say... Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend? Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend— Yet, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The grass withers and the flower fades. And the word of our God abides forever. Well, we have four children who are now, they wouldn't like to hear this uh, adjective applied, but they are now middle-aged adults. But when they were small children, every December we would encourage them, we thought this was kind of a little writing exercise, to go ahead and write out a wish list for Christmas. Christmas. We never promoted Santa Claus uh, at all, that I can recall. They knew the gifts came from us, and usually I was the one that would tell them, now remember, your dad doesn't make an awful lot of money, so you won't get everything you put on your list, but consider carefully what you would like to see as a Christmas gift, and we'll see what happens. Well, one year, I, I believe the twins were seven, Dan and Ben, uh, I must have emphasized the limited resources part quite a bit that year because we found Christmas lists in seven-year-old printing, two of them, taped to our bedroom door. And these lists showed every evidence that they very definitely were at least second or third drafts. Uh, things had been crossed out, xed out, little notations put around the sign, and uh, several items that were underlined and designated to be the main thing, M-A-N-E, the main thing. I always remember that. Well, of course, they wanted us to have a clear understanding of which of their requests were the most important and hoped that we would pay attention to those, and we sought to do something like that. But, of course, we reserved the right as parents to give, along with Star Wars toys and hockey sticks, uh, some warm sweaters and socks and jackets and those kind of boring presents that you get for Christmas because we knew their needs. Well, in Luke 11, Jesus taught disciples that right prayer does begin with worship and adoration of God. And he did that by giving us one of the two different uh, uh, versions we have in the gospel of what we call the Lord's Prayer. Each in a little bit of wording very slightly different from the other but the phrasing is, is the same. And so he teaches us that of first importance, of primary importance, is worship and adoration of God and thanksgiving to God. And, of course, that forgiveness be granted and that it must be matched. If we expect to be forgiven, we must match it with forgiveness. And then he comes to ask for things. Uh, although there's not a lot asked in the Lord's Prayer, but but the asking part comes in verses 5 through 13. Asking for things, petitioning, we might call it, is certainly a legitimate part of prayer. No question about it. To many, many people, it's the only part of prayer. They, they would say, well, I'll, I don't have time today to adore God or tell him how great his attributes are or thank him for the things in the past. I'll just give him the list. And maybe I'll make it the edited list so he knows what the main thing is all about. Well, as we concentrate tonight, I am looking from verse 5 onward here with this interpretive material that's added to the very familiar material of the Lord's Prayer. And I concentrate, first of all, on verses 5 through 8 here, where Jesus gives, and this is the only place this parable shows up, a short parable about a householder obviously an Israelite is is in focus because hospitality was a big subject among Israelites and and there were obligations that you were expected to fulfill towards neighbors and relatives uh, and being hospitable. So Jesus gives them a a sort of tongue in cheek. I picture the Lord having a little bit of a smile on his face as he spoke this because there's humor to a certain extent of this idea of this man who's caught in his house Late at night, the children are already snoozing. If it was a lower class or middle class Israelite house, it probably didn't have more than two rooms. There were even one room houses in that time in the first century that your cow would be right in the same big room that you slept in. Maybe just a partition or something to keep the cow out of your bed. But uh, we're talking about a house where everything's kind of packed in. Kind of like the greatness of going camping. My wife always told me it was great when we were all squinched into a tent that leaked. Uh, I could not especially see the being packed in part or the leak part, but uh, she liked it, so we did it sometimes. Uh, But here we see the lesson of of, uh, giving to a person who comes in real need and begs, and not being impudent like this man was who said, don't bother me. I can't do this right now. It's inconvenient. There's three things I want to explore with you in this passage. The first is the boldness of God's family. The second is the excellence of God's gifts. And the third is God's how much more principle. First, I point out this short parable of Luke eleven five through 8 on the boldness of God's family. Now we know that in Palestine in those days and even today it's it's a hot land during most of the year and if you're going to travel you want to do it when it's coolest and uh, so the cool hours of the later afternoon and evening would be a time that people would plan travel. Now there were no phones and no emails or any other f- forms of uh, instant communication so your relatives, Uncle Bob or Aunt Joni or somebody might be coming to uh, your part of the world and they would expect to stay with you or your second cousin, three times removed, might even come. But they wouldn't have notified you ahead of time. And they'd be still traveling around the dinner hour and into the early evening when it was cool and it wouldn't be surprising at all to have relatives or good friends uh, arrive Uh, no expectation of them at an hour in the late evening when you had already gone to bed. Now, there not only are no holiday inns, there are no magic mini-marts or anything like that to run out quick and get food if you need it. You would be able to feed those people only what you had on hand. And, of course, here's a man who's caught short. In fact, he's estimated it must have been a good crowd that showed up because he needed three loaves, to entertain these people as as a mainstay of food supply. To whom do you go late at night? Well, you go to your neighbor. There was an obligation of hospitality and neighborliness in this time, and custom dictated that showing hospitality really was a big reflection on your character. If you would not be hospitable in a situation like this, that would really be a black mark against you, which would probably become known to many others. Well, here's a man that has this uh, pounding at his door, and he says, Hey, the kids are already asleep. I've got to step on two teenagers to get to you at the front door. Don't bother me. That's his first response. But Jesus, with a smile, is saying, Look, we all know that this man's going to respond after he has a chance to air his initial complaint about being bothered in this way. Even the poorest neighbor in that society would respond with much greater courtesy and largesse than this fictitious character was willing to do, this man that Jesus invented. And I think the disciples who heard this teaching chuckled along with him. But this story is, be sure you understand, is meant to depict the posture of men and women as we pray, the boldness in this that's being advised as a good thing is boldness in our asking from God. It is not about God in his boldness or lack thereof toward us. Only the crudest misinterpretation of this text could think that Jesus was somehow teaching here that you've got to wear God out. This is pretty similar to that uh, small parable was preached on a few weeks ago of the unjust judge who gave a woman a just uh, uh, disposition of her case just to get rid of her. She was such a nuisance. He said, I'll have a way with her. I'll just give her what she wants and be done. This has nothing to do with that at all. We're talking here about contrast, as far as God is concerned, not comparison. This is a total contrast. The the man in his bed who wouldn't get up is a contrast with God's behavior, not a comparison at all. We are being taught here that we, before God, must be bold and even, uh, many translators love the ESV choice of word, impudent in petitioning God's throne, bold to a fault, And we must come to him and learn that we can do that because we have a privileged relationship. Brothers, now we are the children of God and we cannot be too bold with him. We will never approach our father in prayer and find a sign hanging on the gate of heaven that says, closed for now, we'll be open again sometime. No, sir. Impudence is even understood by petitioners before the throne of God. And this reluctant householder did help his neighbor, of course, despite the inconvenience. We focus on his first level response, but then he got up and he did what was asked. By contrast to his reluctant example, we are to say to ourselves, how much more will our Supreme Father in heaven respond? instantly and generously to his beloved sons and daughters in Christ who come to him crying out with every kind of practical need he has the greatest kind of willingness to move toward us most quickly but then we go secondly to Luke 11 and 11 through 13 to say something about the excellence of God's gifts You see, prayer is not giving God information as if he was hearing your case and your particular need for the first time. How could an omniscient God not already know your case, your need, your petition, your urgent cry through and through? Prayer is never giving God information that he lacks as if he would learn something from us that he did not already know. One theologian said, perfect love, that is God, perfect love loves to be told what it knows already. That's wise. That's really what prayer is. Telling God what he knows already and watching to see how he responds to us. We're not changing God through installing data in his master computer of the universe that wasn't there before. We're not revising the eternal decrees of the Most High God. In his providential means, he already plans to use in bringing things to pass, things and events and people and words that we don't even imagine would be coming from him to us. The Lord may ordain that somebody would be healed, but you see, that doesn't negate in any sense the secondary means of doctors and Antibiotics and secondary causes that cause a healing to take place in a hospital. Prayer mysteriously seems to release blessing that God holds in store until we seek it and ask him to reveal his plans. We cannot explain why it is that things seem to respond to our prayer as if we were pulling levers of the universe that, you know, make something pop up. But we seek him when we bring our own desperate cries, like this man that needed to help out the folks that were already sitting in his parlor wondering where, where was the evening meal. He wants to hear from us, and he responds in relation to that. Prayer petitions, you see, seem to lay claim and take ownership of things that God promises in Scripture. In John, fifteen, verse seven, we have Jesus' words there: "Ask whatever you will in my name, and you have it." I've been confronted by people who say that's that's ridiculous. He's you, saying, "I can ask, could I ask God for a million dollars and expect it to show up in the mail tomorrow?" No. And the reason you, that's not included in this promise is the phrase, in my name. Pray whatever you will in my name, and you will have it. To pray in Jesus' name means to pray with the mindset and the heart and the passions of Christ compelling and shaping the prayer. We're always going to do that imperfectly because we don't have 100% of the mindset of Christ, but we're always working towards that as we have our Bibles open before us as we pray and we learn the mind of Christ by seeing the way he responds to people in the scripture. We are not promised by that John fifteen seven verse ask whatever you will in my name and you have it. We are not promised there that every whim of our childish fantasies will be granted. Thank God we're not promised that. We would bring so much harm down upon ourselves that the earth's population might be cut in half in a day or two. But we are invited to a process in which we keep on asking and we keep on knocking and we keep on seeking. And all the while, you see, the things we're seeking, the way we're asking, the attitude we have is coming more and more into alignment with the character and the mindset of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I remember a TV show. You've got to be old like me to remember in the 1950s TV show. Father Knows Best. Robert Young, this amiable father, most of the time he didn't know what in the world was going on with his kids, but uh, he managed to come home from the office smiling and inherit a, some little catastrophe. and He had to work it out, and father's advice was, was best. Father always knew best. Well, Father Knows Best is a theme of the Scripture. And Jesus uh, speaks about it here when he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? You see, a fish, the point is easy, might look like a snake somehow. They're both in kind of the reptilian part of the world and they both like water and and, uh, some people don't want to touch them or have anything to do with them. And you might uh, mistake a fish for a snake, but the father wouldn't do that to you. The one about the egg and the scorpion is is a little puzzling, but the, the experts in things of the Middle East tell us that there's a scorpion in the Middle East that curls itself up with a shell that kind of closes around it And the outer shell is sort of a tan white color so that it looks just like an oval object that might be very well, a bird's egg that you would be ready to have for breakfast. But the point is, these things are about the same size, shape, and color, and you might mistake what is good from what is really harmful. The lesson is God's answers to prayers may not look like what you sought but they certainly will not be destructive to you, for your wise heavenly Father does not play tricks on us that way. Thirdly, then today, I come to the real heart of this thing, and I hope the point that you'll carry away the best today, the fact that we learn here in Luke 11:13, what I call scriptures, how much more principle. How much more. Will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You might say, well, wait a minute. Have you been listening to me, God? I didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. I asked for food to feed guests or uh, to be healed from cancer or to land a better paying job or to get an A on the final exam. Didn't you hear what I asked you for, God? And God says, How much more I'll go above and beyond what you ask and give you the Holy Spirit. And don't you see that if we understand the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, which is a huge subject, we would understand that the Holy Spirit is the most tremendous gift in God's whole storehouse of blessings. And in fact, it is through the channel of the work of the Holy Spirit that all good gifts that God gives to his people come to us. We get a new birth of faith in Jesus Christ to trust him as Lord and Savior when the Holy Spirit gives that new birth. We get illumination from the word, on the word of God. We, we get just instruction and guidance in things we need. We get comfort. All these many things flow from the fountainhead of the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you see, you have God's primary means of fulfillment and all the how much more blessing he wants to bring you. I was doing a lot of thinking this week in preparing for this message about the whole issue of unanswered prayer. I think that's a terrible two-word expression, unanswered prayer. I don't believe in unanswered prayer. I hope you will learn in your Christian life not to believe in unanswered. What do we usually mean when we say unanswered prayer? We mean, I prayed, I asked God to do something, and he didn't do it to any appearance that I could see. Therefore, my prayer was unanswered. Well, I would wish to sit down with you and talk about that subject a little bit because I'm convinced there is no unanswered prayer. God responds in one of several ways to all prayers. First of all, he may be saying a thing you let, certainly don't want him to say No, I will not do that. And I've been begging and begging, God, please do this, please do this. No, God doesn't speak with an audible voice, but he says through circumstances, I'm not intending to do that. He may be whispering in the background, You don't have any idea how bad that would be for you. Or he might be saying, well, yes, I'm going to do something very much like what you're asking, but the time is not right. And there his answer is, wait. Just wait. You'll be prepared and ready and able to understand and give me thanks when it's finally the right timing to do that. Now, those first two things cover a whole lot. God's, no, I won't do it because it's not good for you. Or wait, it's coming around the bend. But then there's this third thing. And I call it the how much more response. Something that comes to my life so maybe completely unsought, unexpected, so beyond anything I've ever experienced before that I don't even think to relate it to what I prayed for because it's, it's just completely different. And it's God's way of doing something great in my life but not the way I would have expected or I would have asked him to to bring that thing to pass. Well, if we would look back somehow, you see it's hindsight that we need, isn't it? We need to be able to look back and say, well, now wait a minute. Here was the problem I brought to God two years ago, five years ago, and here's what he did. And he waited five years, but I can see that he had to, Bring some other people alongside me or change me or work this out or do this before he could give me this how much more response. And now I see it through the powerful glasses of hindsight. James 4 tells why many of our petitions are not given exactly as we order them. James wrote, you ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives to spend what you get on your pleasures. Who, me? Spend on my pleasures? Oh yes, Mr. Preacher, you too, to spend on your pleasures. The same book of James one seventeen says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Your wise, compassionate Father, has answers to prayer that are formed for your perfect good, no matter what that looks like on your first glance. You you very often don't even relate these how much more responses to, to to your prayers because you just say, well, I didn't ask for that. But you say, did you possibly think God had a better understanding of the need and the timing and everything else than you do? I believe prayer is answered in some way or other every single time. It's a matter of our waiting and trusting and looking and interpreting to see what the Lord is doing. And if we did have any better understanding at all, we would come and pray, Lord, here's my petition. I've given it to you. I need your Holy Spirit to show me this and to work in this. Father, give me your best Give me your best as only you know what it is. Give me patience to wait for that best and wisdom to recognize it. You would pray quite differently if you prayed that way very often. There are many examples we could cite of how much more kinds of blessings, and I must stop in a minute here, but think of Abraham, who thought he was too old to sire the son of covenant promise. I'm sure Abraham prayed and prayed and prayed, Lord, you, you said you're going to make a great nation of me. Well, here I am. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a little past 90, Lord, and it hasn't happened yet. And so what did Abraham do? He started to pray, literally asked God to put his blessing on Ishmael. And I'm paraphrasing, but Abraham said, Lord, it looks like you're not going to give me a, a, a miracle son, so I pray that this son I already have, Ishmael, could be the father of the covenant nations. Well, Ishmael was certainly not the father of the covenant nation, and you know what God did. Or think of the thief on the cross. He had a petition. He cried out, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I think this guy was just casting words at the wind. He didn't probably believe that much in Jesus, but he thought, why spend my dying breath cursing a fellow prisoner. I, he looks kind of like he might be sincere. I'll, I'll ask something good. Lord, remember me. That's all he asks. What does that mean? Well, think what it meant. That thief woke up from death in paradise. If that isn't a how much more blessing, I don't know what is. You see, Ephesians 3.20 says God is able to do, two words, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think our faith is almost always too small we're asking him for crumbs when he wants to give away whole warm loaves of living bread I urge you to stop thinking about your prayer life as a kind of act of ordering merchandise from a catalog or an online site That's a particular convenience of things these days. We seem to do an awful lot of shopping online now. And just think for a minute, L.L. Bean Company sells good products. I've gotten their catalogs for years, worn their clothes. Okay, I'm going to call up L.L. Bean and say, hey, look, you've got this great plaid shirt. Uh, Here's what I want. It's number XYZ4278. And uh, if you'll send it to me exactly the size I asked for, the color I want, Every detail correct and get it here in a few days, you'll satisfy me. I'll be happy. Now, that's exactly what we do with God a lot of times, don't we? Here's my order, God. Here are the specifications. I expect you to do it because you're God. I come boldly because I'm your child through Jesus Christ. And it looks like I need X, Y, Z. And I'm going to, and God, you know, I I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to evaluate your performance exactly the way I evaluate the performance of the L.L. Bean company in Maine. Does it come quickly? Is it the right size, the right color? I like it. My wife admires it. Great. What a good buying experience that's been. And you chuckle, but that's the same. somebody's wearing an LLB shirt down here. I just, I just noticed you, sir. <laughs> you know, you say God, you're not doing so good. Even LLB outperforms you. Well, folks, submit them to your your askings to God. Come boldly. You can, and you should, and you must come boldly if you are His child through Jesus Christ. If His Holy Spirit already inhabits you through a new birth of faith. And start praying instead of the L.L. Bean prayer. God, you know how ignorant I am. Here I am laying petitions at your feet. Please submit my ignorant petitions to your perfect planning and corrections, and I will strive to accept what you bring me, and I will believe that it is always what is best for me. Let the ardent prayers of the people of God come up like incense burning on an altar in ancient Israel. Bring God your wet wish list. Bring to him the word, yes, Lord, this, this is the, seems to me to be the main thing that I need. I hope you'll agree with me, but if you don't, show me how to understand that. And then stand back and believe how much more he will do when we ask and think through the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, who is in us if we are God's. Father, I thank you, you for this gift of prayer. We just acknowledge, Lord, that sometimes with this gift in our hand, we're like a little child has been given a powerful weapon or a complex, sharp tool that we don't know what to do with it or how to use it, and we're sure to use it wrong. But thank you for your spirit, Lord, that rules and overrules us. And I pray that whatever is burdening hearts here tonight, that you would shape these requests and our reception of whatever you're doing or about to do or Or you're planning something completely different for us five years from now. Lord, work in us. Bring praise, bring thanksgiving, bring worship to yourself, great and mighty God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania.